You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in it for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career. Christian Watson, you can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. Oh, hey, what's up? Good Saturday afternoon. Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And also, if you would like to text the show, you can send us a text at 865-658-5824, 865-658-5824. Appreciate everybody joining us here on this Saturday afternoon. And we've got uh, – I'm going to try to keep this show under 45 minutes. It's going to be very difficult. We've got a lot of stuff to do today, but I wanted to get you guys some content out. Um, so just some things I'm kind of mulling over. Uh, we got a text from a, uh, a listener, which is really cool, that this is the very first, I believe – if I remember correctly, this is the first text that we've received that we're going to use on the show. So you guys continue to use that number. Again, that's 865-658-5824. And if you want to call in, make sure you're calling in to Packernet after dark. Obviously, Ryan can get you that number. You guys are listening to his podcast if you're listening to this one. And be more vocal, gang. Like, like that line up. We want to hear from you guys. We want text messages. We want emails to kind of keep steering the show in the direction in which you want it to go in, all right? If you don't do that, then obviously we're going to – put out what we think we should talk about. And that's not what's most important in my opinion. At least that's how I'm going to look at uh, Packers Total Access. So with that being said, we've got a, a listener text that we're going to get to here in a second. I want to cover a couple things first before we get into it. And it was a draft uh, question about quarterbacks, which we're going to kind of dive into. But first things first, let's talk about kind of what's going on in Packer land right now. Obviously, we're waiting on Aaron Rodgers' decision. I think there's a chance we get a decision this Tuesday if Pat McAfee is live. I'm not sure if Pat's going to be live. I think he is going to be back in the office uh, starting Monday, so, which means they would have an Aaron Rodgers Tuesday, and we may get a decision then. It might be the following week. Again, I'm not expecting a decision or – I'm not going to be disappointed without a decision before free agency starts, right? Um, if you know if it happens up to the last second, I feel like that's totally cool. But uh, it just all depends on what Aaron's plans are. So let's do this. 
Rob Domofsky sent a tweet out uh, just the other day, and this tweet said, Matt LaFleur and his staff are joining a growing number of coaches not attending the Combine next week in Indy. You guys know I believe it's starting Tuesday the Combine actually cranks up. Uh, Matt LaFleur felt his time was better spent working with the staff on scheme projects uh, because everything from the Combine is recorded. They can view it afterwards. Um, This makes too much sense to me. As a fan, I would love to go to the combine. As a general manager, I understand them being in the building, um, the scouts, all that stuff. You know, uh, Greg Cosell the other day uh, was talking with Ross Tucker and talked about how important it is to to be able to be in person and actually see the ball come off quarterbacks' hands, right? And and it's just one of those things that when you're standing right next to them um, and you and you hear that ball come off, whether it's a pro day or, or whatever, you know, you got them doing individual workouts at, at any, you know, facility or whatever – to be able to to compare how the ball comes off the quarterback's hands um, to other quarterbacks is is very important, right? But as far as a coaching staff being there, you know, Matt LaFleur, he's not making these decisions, right? Ultimately, it's Brian Gutekunst's decision. Now, just like they've mentioned, they will meet, and we'll kind of talk about that here in a second. But um, I don't think this is anything out of the, the realm of, of normality, you know? Um, another thing he said was GM Brian Gutekunst in the personnel department will staff the combine as usual. So Brian Brian Gutekunst and his staff are going to be there, okay? So some people were going to extreme measures, going, oh, so the Packers are so, you know, they're so cocky they're not even going to go to the combine. No, no, dude, the the coaching staff is not going to be there. They're going to focus on schematics, right? What do we all all complain about this last year, right? You know, some were saying this is Aaron Rodgers' offense that they're running. They're not running Matt LaFleur's. I tried to point out and pound the table over and over and over that if you watch Sean McVay, if you watch Seattle, if you watch um, you know uh, some of these other teams, this is Sean McVay's system. It's not it's not Kyle Shanahan's, right? That's what the tape suggests. I'm not there to get into a shouting match with people and this and that. It's just funny how Aaron Rodgers' um, presence. People want to immediately, some people want to immediately point to him and go, no, this is Rodgers changing the play. No, this is Rodgers refusing to run Matt LaFleur's offense. That's not the case. This is the offense Matt LaFleur has always ran. It's been adapted and it's evolved. Aaron Rodgers wins two MVPs because they implemented a ton of RPO, right? Now the league is caught on to RPO. How do I know that? Because the teams that were famous for RPO, Indianapolis with Frank Reich, you know, they went and won a Super Bowl, right, Um, with uh, Philadelphia. Frank Rock was on the staff with Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson gets fired from Philly. Why? Because people caught on to that RPO game, and they didn't have success, and they had a falling out. You know, all of a sudden, Carson Wentz doesn't know how to play quarterback. You guys notice that? He, he All of a sudden, he doesn't know how to play quarterback. He gets sent out of Philly. That didn't fix anything. Doug Peterson gets finally loses his job in Philly. Where did Carson Wentz go? He ends up signing or getting traded to uh, the Indianapolis Colts, right? Why? Because Frank Reich went there. Frank Reich and them tried to implement the RPO system (laughs) in Indianapolis. It fell flat on its face. Now Frank Reich loses his job and Carson Wentz goes to Washington, right? It's because it's because the the league has caught on to RPOs. So what happened with with uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? He wins two MVPs as they pressed into the RPO game. Now, that's a positive, in my opinion, from Matt LaFleur because he was willing to adapt a little bit and, and implement more RPOs when it was important. Well, last year, what did we see happen? First part of the season, they come out and they they played fairly well the first three or four games, they being the Packers, right? And then all of a sudden you've seen teams really sitting on that RPO pass, right? We've seen what happened in Detroit. We've seen what happened in other games uh, across the season. 
Teams caught on to the RPO. Dusty Evely did a great job breaking this down. And then as we come into the, the back third of the season when the Packers go on this run, guess what they did? They removed the RPO aspect of the offense. Guys, that wasn't Aaron Rodgers making that decision. What, was Aaron Rodgers making that decision in Indianapolis? Was he making that decision in Philadelphia and everywhere else that it got RPO heavy? No, no. It, it's you got to watch the tape. And, and when you watch the tape, you understand that this was Sean McVay's system that got RPO heavy at times. It had nothing to do with Mike McCarthy's system. Anybody who says that we were running Mike McCarthy's system, you need to go back and watch the tape from when McCarthy was head coach. It did not look like this, guys. There were so many times we did not see uh, trips right, and four wide receiver sets. We stayed in 11 personnel and leaned on 12 a bit. right? That is not something that Mike McCarthy did. Hell, Mike McCarthy had a fullback on his roster the whole time. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So you gotta you gotta kind of learn to differentiate between the two. So um, but again, when it comes to the combine, um, that's becoming more common for coaches not to go to the combine. I personally like it. If I was a coaching staff and the GM and the owner slash uh, executive, you know, being Mark Murphy said, Hey, what do you want to do? What do you think is most important? I would be like, I want to be right here in the office with my coaching staff scheming up ideas to be successful next year because this offense got stale really, really quick, right? So um, I would I would be focused on that. You know, some say there was trouble in paradise. That is not true. What they meant by that, I've seen a couple of tweets where guys uh, said, uh, oh, see, this has already fallen apart between Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, one bad season. He don't even want him at the combine with him. No, that's not the case. Is that is that what's going on the rest, across the rest of the league? That these coaches aren't attending? No, it's not. So you gotta sometimes it's it's what they not they don't say or don't do that says the most. If that makes sense. So um I don't believe there's trouble in paradise there at all. Although, I mean, if they come out this year and they have a bad year, right? They being the Packers, then yeah, Matt LaFleur's probably gonna start catching some heat. I personally like Matt LaFleur. I think he's a great coach. I just think he needs to be able to adapt a little more on the fly and be able to adjust in real time. I think that's what makes coaches like Andy Reid, really, really good. I think it's what coaches makes coaches like uh, Nick Sirianni, a, a young and up up and coming coach there in Philadelphia, people who are willing to a, adjust and adapt and mold the offense around what their team does well, like that six back system in Philadelphia. And what what do we mean by six back system? When I mention that, um, it's something that Michael Lombardi has talked about a lot. He may have even coined the phrase a six back system. Basically, you've you've typically got five skill positions that you've got to worry about when you're running a defense, They're, they can attack you with five weapons, right? Um, you know, let's say it's a, a four wide receiver set. Those five weapons are the four wide receivers and the running back, right? Let's say it's 11 personnel. That means three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. There's five weapons. When you have a quarterback like, uh, like Jalen Hurts, right, that can run what we call a quote-unquote six-back system, you now have a sixth one that you've got to account for. It's what you've seen in Baltimore a couple years ago before uh, Lamar Jackson started to kind of fan back and be like, hey, look, I'm not going to run as much if you guys aren't going to pay me. That's kind of the feel I get there. Same type of thing, though, with a six-back system. Um, they did a little bit in New York with the Giants, with Daniel Jones and his mobility, right? And, and it's the emergence of the RPR offense. When you, when you hear six-back system, you should really think RPR. Now, what's an RPR? First of all, you guys remember back with the 49ers, it's like a nightmare with Colin Kaepernick, how he just, you know, ran down our throat there in the playoff game, um, you know, uh, there out in San Francisco. That was when the read option took over the, uh, the NFL, okay? So I don't want all this to get, con you know, 
uh, jumbled up into thinking this is all the same thing. It's This is the evolution of the NFL from an offensive standpoint. The read option was a play where the quarterback takes a snap out of shotgun typically, right, puts the ball in the belly of the running back, and he's reading the defensive end on the read side. So let's say it's a read option. The, the, the run play to the running back is designed to go A to B gap left, okay, kind of a zone read left, right? So what he's reading is the defensive end on the right side from the offense's perspective. Ball snapped, put the ball in the belly of the running back. If that defensive end crashes in on the running back, you pull that ball out and you take the edge as a quarterback run. That's a read option. If he stays at home, you hand the ball to the running back, and now he attacks zone left. You're essentially taking one defender out of the play every single play if it's read correctly. That's the read option. That's not what we're talking about with the six-back offense. Okay. Next, the thing that came was the RPO offense that Doug Peterson really made popular in Philadelphia on their Super Bowl run. What's the RPO? The RPO is a run-pass option. It's not a read option. It's a run-pass option. The quarterback is not designed to run on that play. What he's doing, though, is sticking the ball in the belly of the running back, and he's reading the defense, the first layer of defense typically. What are the linebackers in the slot corner doing if we're in 11 personnel? What are they doing? Are they biting on the run? So if they step up and bite, you pull the ball out of the belly and fire that slant, fire that that quick, you know, whatever the route is, smoke screen, whatever it may be. If they stay at home, you've got them on their heels, you hand the ball to the running back. So you're you're putting the defense, you're putting stress on the defense every single play if it's read correctly. Okay. That's the RPO. What's the RPR? This is the new thing in the NFL. The RPR is the RPO with the option of a quarterback to run. So not only are they going RPO, ball snapped, ball in the belly. If they stay at home, I'm handing the ball to the the running back, right? If they fire off the edge there or fire off the A gap and they're trying to get to the running back, I pull the ball out and I can throw it. If I read that point, now it's th- they've taken it a step further, and this is just one specific example of a play design. Put the ball in the belly of the running back. If they stay at home, you pull it out. If the slant is not there, if the smoke is the, not there, if the quick out's not there, now the quarterback has the option to roll right if he's a righty. As he rolls right, you're looking for a second window on the slant, but there's also going to be options on the front side of the play. RPR, run, pass, run, option play. Okay, could be a RPRO, but it's not around the league as an RPR. And again, that's encompassed into what Michael Lombardi calls the six back system, meaning the running back is a threat to run every single play. Okay. So I did not have that in my notes to break down, but here we are. So we'll cover these things as we go. That's the best of my understanding for those three different types of offense. So again, we got into that ramp because of schematics and being willing to adapt and change and adjust, right? Now, you're not going to run an RPR system with Aaron Rodgers at 39, 40 years old, right, if he comes back. I don't think you are you want to run that with Jordan Love, although he may have the physical traits to do it, okay? He is not Jalen Hurts, guys. Jalen Hurts squats 650 pounds. That just freaking blew my mind when I heard that, right? you got to have a quarterback that's durable and willing to take that pounding. I think that Jordan Love could be one of those RPO-style quarterbacks but again the league has caught on to the RPO so we've got to adjust schematically I hope that's what Matt LaFleur means when he's talking about working on schematics it's not as simple as Aaron Rodgers is trying to run Mike McCarthy's offense it goes way deeper than that way deeper than that and I don't completely understand every aspect of it please I'm not sitting here 
high and mighty going, I'm smarter than those people who say that. I just want to help people understand it's a little bit deeper than just one person's fault, whether you want to blame Matt LaFleur, whether you want to blame Aaron Rodgers. And here real soon, there'll be people just wanting to blame Jordan Love when things goes wrong. It's a team sport, the ultimate team sport, and there's a lot of X's and O's and schematics that goes into it. I hope that's what they mean by LaFleur is working on quote-unquote scheme projects. So just wanted to hit on that because that was a little bit of Packers news, right? Now, let's jump into the listener text, okay? And let's see how we're doing on time. Um, we're already behind. I'm going to try my best to get through this <laughs> in 45 minutes. So the listener text says this. Hey, Clayton, Joe here with a draft question. First off, when are you releasing your mock drafts? All caps, we need them, LOL. <laughs> and then two, do you really believe there's a chance the Packers take a quarterback in the first round, whether they trade up or stay back at number 15? Thanks. First of all, Joe, thank you so much for texting, dude. That was really, really cool to be able to interact with you through text. Um, and that works out really, really good. Guys, understand that's not my personal cell phone. No one else's numbers will be given out. I won't be saying this came in from this phone number here. That won't happen. I'll just mention the name and move on. And again, that's an automated service that we're using, just a real easy way. If you guys are out you know, on the ground one day, you're sitting in a, in a work truck waiting for an appointment or whatever, and you're listening to the pod and going, you know what? I wonder what he thinks about this. Rather than having to pull up your email and all that stuff, just shoot a text message to 865-658-5824. Now, first part of his question, um, I'm not a big early mock draft guy, okay? There's a lot of mock drafts flying around out there, and, and I enjoy them. I enjoy reading them. I'm not trying to knock them, okay? If people enjoy doing mock drafts, uh, it drives me crazy when people try to uh, tell others um, how they should fan or what should be important to them. Or, you know, like you'll see people put mock drafts up and people just bash them. I can't believe you are doing this. None of this matters. That, that'll that never happen and this and that. Listen, if they want to, if that's the way they want to study the draft by doing mock drafts and kind of see where players fall, then who, why, why do you care? Keep scrolling. Keep moving on. I'm not a big fan of it either. But who the heck am I to tell them how to enjoy the offseason, right? And in most cases, I do look at the mock drafts, and I'm like, oh, man, that's that's interesting. That player went that high. Is there a realistic chance of that? And then you can dig in and get the information. But I'm not a big early mock draft guy. Now, the closer I get to the draft, what I do like to do, I did it last year, is I will, once the board is complete, right, once my big board is, is uh, completely finished, what I like to do is five mock drafts, not to share them with people, although I'm sure you guys can have access to them if, if, uh, if you want them, right? I, I don't mind to share them. But it's to see which players' names keep popping up when I'm picking at number 15 for the Green Bay Packers, right? And then I compile that list together and go, these are the players that, that seem like are most likely to be drafted by the Packers. I did that last year, and we nailed one of them. It was Devontae Wyatt. When they took Devontae Wyatt, it was like that was the player that got drafted the most by me in a mock draft that made the most sense, that was highest on the current tier of talent and um, was something that I could see the Packers making a draft pick for. Now, a lot of people bashed it. I won't mention any names. It's the, the same people that, that do a lot of arguing on Twitter and a lot of controversial takes. They said Devontae Wyatt was too old. Oh, there's no way they'll take a guy that old, blah, 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 blah. And then they drafted him, and I love watching Ryan – Ryan Schlipp just roast them on Twitter. It's like, I thought, hold up, what happened? What happened to the whole age thing, right? Here's the thing I look at. If I've got two players, one is 24 years old and one is 23 years old, right? Or one is 23 years old and one is 21 years old, whatever the difference is. The older player is better than the younger player. Why? So we're not going to take him, 
because he's going to turn 30 years old one year sooner than the other player? That makes no sense to me. And isn't it amazing when you draft a rookie, what's, what's the, the first thing we all say? I say it, everybody says it. It's a, it's a young rookie. It's going to take time to develop, you know. It's going to take time to develop. Okay, so if somebody's one year older, they're not one year more developed, whether it was in college football and training, their body being more mature and stout and willing to take the punishment, right? Like you can't have it both ways. So I don't look into the age. Now, listen, if somebody's 26 years old, if somebody's 27 years old, like back in the day, what was his name? Uh, I think his name was Hinky, the quarterback um, out of Florida State. He was like significantly older because he played minor league baseball before he went to uh, college and played college or yeah to play college football. I understand that you know somebody who's twenty six as opposed to twenty one that is a big difference. And at twenty six years old, if it's a running back, there's a good chance if he's played sports his whole life that by the you know by the time you get to the second contract, he's already over thirty. That does not make sense. I understand. Again, extreme comparisons, right? People will take those and act like it's the rule rather than the exception. So. Um, the reason I like to do that with the board is it tells me which players um, the, the Packers have a high percentage of taking. Now, you take that information and compile it, compare it to who did the Packers have in with a visit, right? Well, they spent a lot of time with Devontae Wyatt last year. Check it off the list, right? And then at the end of the day, when it comes to draft time, it's like, man, there's a good chance they're going to draft Devontae Wyatt. What did they do? They drafted Devontae Wyatt. Now, one that didn't pop up was Quay Walker, right? Because I didn't have him high on my board at all. But that was one of those things where it comes down to talent, to natural talent and ability, their their physical traits. And, and Greg Cosell was talking about that actually about the quarterback position uh, earlier this week. He was talking about there are some teams that are going to value mobility and a big, strong physical runner, a.k.a. six-back system, more than uh, a team that that values someone who can throw from a clean pocket, right? And, and you've kind of got a little bit of that in this year's draft. So um, let's do this. Let's move on to the second part of his text here. Second part of his text says, uh, first off, uh, I'm sorry, do you really believe there is a chance that the Packers take a quarterback in the first round, um, whether they trade up or stay at 15? Okay. Absolutely there's a chance, Joe. Um, and some people are pulling their hair out right now because we drafted Jordan Love and he sat on the bench for three years, going on four years, and we didn't even utilize him and blah, 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 right? First of all, we didn't know if Aaron Rodgers was going to retire or not. That was insurance for Aaron Rodgers. Second of all, the real question becomes now, is there a quarterback in this draft that grades out higher than Jordan Love graded out and where Jordan Love is in the process right now? That answer is probably no, but let's pretend that there is, okay? Let's pretend that Jordan Love – and, and where he's at right now with the Packers. And I don't I don't personally believe this. I personally believe he's going to be the next starting quarterback. But if you have Jordan Love and his draft grade was he was a Tier 3 talent, and then this year a Tier 1 quarterback, Tier 1 talent at the quarterback position falls in your lap or gets within trading distance, you're now drafting a quarterback that you had a draft grade of two tiers higher than Jordan Love. Jordan Love's in the last year of his contract. You could let him walk or uh, trade him, and you draft a quarterback that you think has a higher ceiling or a higher talent pool, you know, a pool of, uh, of traits, right, to work with, then, yeah, you would draft that quarterback. I could see that. So let's kind of walk through it here a little bit. Let's do a little exercise because I was already working on the quarterbacks on my draft board, and you guys know that my – I had a listener ask a question. You may or may not have heard it. He asked a question earlier in the season, and he said, you know, how would you rate the quarterbacks? How would you rank them right now? I don't like doing that because I'm not a, I'm not a scout, okay? I don't have that much faith in my ability to look at talent and determine how good 
that player is or is is or is not, um, and and definitely won't will or will not be at the NFL level, right? But I did it for their sake. And when I came out, the way I had them ranked was C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. And I was not impressed with Anthony Richardson hardly at all. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. He's one of those guys, though, like Greg Cosell says, if a team really likes the physical traits, he's he does have a big arm. He does have mobility, uh, you know, that physical style uh, body that he, he could potentially – he is he and Will Levis, to me, stick out more than the other two as potential candidates for a six-back system, right? Will Levis more so than Anthony Richardson. But in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is the most important position at quarterback, right? Let's look at the current top-tier talents at quarterback when we pick. Who are those players? Okay, now I'm going to talk about my draft board for a second. It is not complete. Okay, I want everybody to understand my board is not complete. It's evolving as we get closer to the draft, and it won't be finished probably until a couple of weeks before the draft. But I'm going to kind of fill you guys in on the information that I have at hand uh, up to that point. I build a horizontal board every year. I've done it since 2000 and. 2011. So I'm now 12 years into working on a horizontal board. What do I mean by horizontal board? Some people just use a spreadsheet, right? And I use a spreadsheet to compile all the information. But with the spreadsheet, the problem there is you have every prospect ranked in the order in which you think they're valued, right? And you have to kind of cipher through the positions and go, okay, well, okay, he's an edge. Where's the next edge? This and that. When you do a horizontal board, you break it down into tiers of talent, meaning these five players are on the same tier of talent, meaning they're equally as talented as the others. And then the positions are listed horizontally at the top of the board. So you've got quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, interior offensive line, tackle, um, uh, edge defender, interior defensive line, uh, inside linebacker, cornerback, safety, 
all the way across the board, right? So the positions are listed horizontally at the top, and the players go into those positions in the tier of talent that they're in. So the horizontal board really speaks to you. You look at the horizontal board, and you see of the top tier current talent, the best players on the board. If I was going to take the most talented player that I feel like is is you know at that stage right there, there okay right now we've got two quarterbacks and a tight end that's in the current top tier, whatever it may be. Right. So now, you know, we really need an interior defensive lineman. Well, I've got to reach two tiers down on the horizontal board to get the first defensive lineman. We might want to trade back. It speaks to you at a different level than just a spreadsheet. OK, some people try to use color codes to counteract that. And it just gets really convoluted. Um, there's a reason that that every single team in the NFL uses horizontal boards. They have used them for years because it's the most effective way to identify talent in the current tier pool while also taking into consideration the positions. And you'll also see clusters of players on the board in different positions. And you know, I've got a pocket of defensive linemen coming up here early in the second round. I could probably get my defensive linemen in that cluster there. Let me focus on where the talent's a little bit rare and in a current tier of talent that's uh, that's got a, a higher value on them at the moment. So um, with that being said, Tier one, this is how my board sits right now, and it is changing. I'm going to try to give you guys notes of what I think will happen based off the information I just received from people that I trust, okay? Uh, not not people that, that have inside information on I think a player will be drafted at this spot, but people who have evaluated these players because, again, I don't evaluate the players. I have a, a pool of people that I trust that I think – they know what the heck they're talking about. They've been doing it for a very, very long time. And when they tell me one player is better than the other, I'm going to take that to heart because I trust their evaluation over mine. If somebody's been a scout in a building somewhere in the NFL, they understand evaluation better than me just being a fan, right? And I'm not going to allow ego to get in the way of that. Tier one right now, I've got Bryce Young. Now, the only knock on Bryce Young is his size, 5'11", um, smaller frame, the same thing was said about Devontae Smith in Philadelphia, and he's turned out to be a great receiver, right? Well, when you're playing quarterback in the NFL and you're going to take a beating, you better have the frame to absorb it. That's one thing about Joe Burrow. He's big enough to take those hits with that bad offensive line, right? And, he's and yes, he dealt with injury already too. Bryce Young in, in, uh, in um, Joe Burrow's situation as a rookie and taking those taking that beating, he's probably getting hurt that year too. Right. So that's the only knock on Bryce Young. If Bryce Young had the size of C.J. Stroud, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, he would be a slam dunk number one pick in this draft. He still may very well be, but I've got him as a top tier quarterback as it sits right now. Tier two is C.J. Stroud. Now he's set to move up to tier one. What do I mean by that? The information I just received, it pushes C.J. Stroud into tier one. So now we're going to have two tier one quarterbacks, most likely. But right now I'm going to leave him in tier two. Also in tier two is Will Levis. Now I've got a note here to the side. He's going to climb up a little bit on the board, but not enough to climb into tier two. So it's looking like there's going to be Bryce Young in tier one, CJ Stroud in tier one, then down to tier two is Will Levis. Okay. Currently at tier three, I have Anthony Richardson, but he is set to drop down to tier four with the information I just received. Okay. So what it's probably going to be, I'm trying not to be too confusing here, but I want to answer the listener's text message here. And, and, I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me. In Tier 1, you're going to have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. In Tier 2, you're going to have Will Levis. In Tier 4, you're going to have Anthony Richardson. 
So now, how does that come into play with the number 15 pick? And the listener asking, do you really think there's a chance that you, they take a quarterback uh, with the number 15 pick? It's all going to come down to how do they truly feel about Jordan Love? None of us know that answer, right? I think Gudikins knows that answer. I think Mark Murphy has been conveyed that answer. I think Matt LaFleur knows that answer. Okay, we're going to find out real soon if Jordan Love gets a contract extension or they pick up his fifth-year option. That will really tell the story. But in this year's draft, the number 15 pick, Anthony Richardson, why is he going to drop down? First of all, Will Levis, nothing's changed on Will Levis. He's still right where I thought he was going to be. Anthony Richardson, with the information I just got, he's dropping down. Guys, they're, they're saying that he he has little to no pace and touch on his passes, right? Um, he's a bad passer within the pocket. That's something else that's been said. But teams will probably value his physical traits. Greg Cosell said this. They will probably value his his physical traits, meaning his running ability and his big arm. There are some teams that are just all over that, right? Now you got to who's the one quarterback that you look at and go, man, that was a quarterback that people said probably wouldn't be a good good NFL quarterback, but he had all the physical traits. It's Josh Allen. Some of you right now are going, heck yeah, dude, give me Josh Allen. He's exciting to watch, and he's an MVP candidate the last couple of years, and he's a great quarterback, right? But why did the Buffalo Bills with that awesome roster not go to the Super Bowl? The thing, two things stand out to me. Von Miller got hurt, which was their all-world edge defender, right? That's a huge knock, just like a huge knock to the Packers with Rashawn Gary going down. But also, was Josh Allen turning the ball over? Why did he turn the ball over? He's got a big arm. He's physical and can run, right? But what was off on them this year down the stretch? Accuracy and decision-making. Those two things stand out to me with Anthony Richardson. Now, if you're telling me Anthony Richardson is will be equal or better than Josh Allen, I would be totally cool with him taking him. I'm not to that point yet. I don't think Anthony Richardson is Josh Allen quite yet, right? I think he's less of a football player in my opinion. So when you look at Anthony Richardson, a bad passer within the pocket, little to no pace and touch on his passes. He doesn't know how to layer those passes, feather those passes, if you will. He's going to drop down to tier four for me. So when you pick at number 15, Joe, um, it's going to warrant a tier four and up player. Okay. What do I mean by that? Tier four will start around the number 15 spot. Now I've got a ton of players here, right? When I list them off, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, uh, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Witherspoon, Will Levis, Tyree Wilson, Peter Skaronsky, uh, the cornerback Gonzalez out of Oregon. Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle that that Ryan's talked a lot about out of Ohio State. Quarterback Anthony Richardson, as it sits right now, he's going to drop a touch into Tier 4 most likely. Um, right now he's in Tier 3 out of Florida. Miles Murphy um, out of Clemson. Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of USC. BJ Bijan Robinson out of Texas. And then uh, it starts into the current Tier 4 there at cornerback Joey Porter. Now, when you look at those, right – with the number 15, it's going to warrant a tier four and up. But when it comes to quarterbacks, what is Greg Cosell and the others uh, the others that have been around the game for so long covering it uh, on NFL matchup and scouting players, what do they say? There's two separate drafts every April. You've got the NFL draft for all the positions, and you've got the NFL quarterback draft. Quarterbacks are always going to be valued a tier higher than every other position. So what does that mean? Even though Anthony Richardson is dropping down into Tier 5, you got to treat him like he's a Tier 4 because it's that elite quarterback position, right? They are that valuable. So when it comes to number 15, if Young if Young or Stroud, if, C, if, if uh, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud drop to 15, you take them. You maybe even trade up, 
What do I mean by that? Let's say Bryce Young goes with the number one pick. And let's say that C.J. Stroud, no other quarterbacks go until you get to like the number eight spot. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's just assume it did. Let's say you get to the eighth spot, and you know in the ninth spot a team is going to take, they're going to hop up and take a quarterback. If you truly do have C.J. Stroud, or let's say it's flipped, C.J. Stroud goes first and Bryce Young's left on the board. Whatever quarterback, top-tier talent. Guys, they are worthy of the number one pick according to my board right now. That's that's how high they are valued the way it sits right now. They could prove to be busts. This is not my evaluation. This is evaluation done by people that I trust the most, okay? So if if you've got a top tier, which actually equals out to a number one pick in the draft that drops to number eight, and you've got a potential trade partner that you could trade up and say, let's say you trade up and you can give up this year's first and next year's third and fourth, whatever it may be, and you value that guy so much, that means that he is three tiers higher than the grade you had on Jordan Love, that's your quarterback of the future. Absolutely, you you could pull the trigger on that. I don't think personally that that is Brian Gutekunst's style. I know he traded up to get Jordan Love because it, the same thing, the same scenario applied then. It was just a little bit lower in the draft, maybe one or two tiers lower in that year's draft. Okay, so that's why I'm thinking I could see that po- being a possibility. So um, if uh, if he drops there, right? If Young or Stroud drops to 15, you're definitely taking them there. If my board lines up like Green Bay's, I'm not suggesting it does, just giving you an example. If Levis drops, if the other two guys are taken and Levis drops to you at 15, why would you take him? Well, Levis is uh, is set to stay in Tier 2. You're drafting in Tier 4. Yeah, he's more than worth it. He's worth a Tier 1 because you would move him up one tier. The only problem was there was two other quarterbacks graded higher than him. So you would take him. Even if Richardson drops to Tier 5, where we're drafting, because he's a quarterback, he is worth one tier higher than that tier five, meaning a tier one, you could justify taking Anthony Richardson in that spot. With the way the board sits right now and my early indications of how they're going to adjust, all of these quarterbacks are worthy of that number 15 pick, how the draft sits right now. If, and this is a big if, if the staff thinks that any of those four quarterbacks have a higher ceiling and a higher draft grade and a higher overall value than Jordan Love. That's the big question. Okay. That's that's the that's the huge question. So that's how it sits, in my opinion. Guys, keep in mind this is if, and it's a big if, if the Packers board lines up exactly like mine. Okay. So Joe, I hope that answers your question. Uh short answer would have been yes. Yes, I think there is a chance. He says, do you really believe there is a chance the Packers take a quarterback in the first round when whether they trade up or stay at 15? Um, I think there's a, a really good chance they take a quarterback at number 15 if one of these guys fall to them, okay? I think there's a, a slight chance they could trade up if one of the quarterbacks other than Anthony Richardson, whether it's C.J. Stroud or Will Levis, fall within striking range where they could trade up and take them. For me, if you were to ask me, what's the best case scenario for the quarterback position in this year's draft for the Green Bay Packers? It would be that either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud fall to the Packers at 15. I don't see that happening. But if that were to happen and one of those two guys were on the board at number 15, man, I would be pounding the table go, climb up and take him. If you think he is better than Jordan Love, if you think that that's the quarterback of the future as opposed to Jordan Love, right, then, yeah, 
jump up there and take them. Why not, right? Because now here's what would happen then, right? Jordan Love would then be put on the trade market. You wouldn't pick up his fifth-year option, right? You got one more year under contract. You would put him on the trade block, shop him around the league, okay? Some people believe that Jordan Love um, would be the best quarterback um, in this year's draft. I personally don't believe that based off of um, the fact that he couldn't unseat Aaron Rodgers even in a down year, albeit with a broken thumb. Um, it kind of, to me, feels like um, I don't think he would be in the top tier. I think he would be better than Anthony Richardson and probably on par or better than Will Levis. That's why it's like, if you were to ask me personally, who do I wish that they would draft at the quarterback position at number 15 if I could pick of any of them? Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud I would both be happy with. Okay, So if that happened, you would draft him. Let's say Aaron Rodgers comes back. Let's say you draft C.J. Stroud as your quarterback. Okay, Now you put Jordan Love on the trade market. And maybe, maybe I don't think you would want to do that before the draft, right? Uh, this is all assuming that Jordan Love isn't your quarterback of the future. Now you've got Aaron Rodgers for one more year, maybe two. Who knows, right? I don't know how that's going to play out if he decides to come back. You would have him and you would have another, a new rookie quarterback studying under him. You're going to be able to take advantage of that rookie contract that we all raved over with Jordan Love. Jordan Love was a good pick in my opinion. It was insurance for Aaron Rodgers from a, from a fan standpoint. I like the idea that he might potentially step in if Aaron goes down with an injury. And then on the flip side, um, the it was a very cheap backup quarterback uh, salary cap hit year in and year out. So I like that pick all the way around. I know there are several people. I don't know what the if, whether it's the majority or you know how how much of the fan base doesn't like that pick. Looking back, seeing that he sat, I still think it was a good pick by Goody um, because you've got to treat quarterbacks different, man. And that's not my opinion. That's something I've had to accept because it's people that I trust that's been around the game for so long saying, yeah, there's two separate quarterbacks, the NFL quarterback and then the NFL quarterback draft um, when it comes to, you know, two separate drafts every every single April. So that's kind of how I see it, man. Um, it's going to get interesting. It's going to be a fun draft because we're never really picking this high. And the fact that we're at number 15, we're kind of right there on the cusp of uh, a great player may drop to us. We, you know, let's say all those quarterbacks get taken, right? Let's say all those quarterbacks get taken before 15, and we're sitting there with six players in the same tier of talent in that that tier five pool. I would try to trade back two, maybe three picks, pick up a little extra draft compensation, and then you get the pick of the litter of the remaining uh, top tier, top current tier of talent um, at your disposal there. So. Hopefully that answered your question, Joe. Appreciate the feedback, man. Appreciate the question there. Uh, I want you guys to steer the ship. That was a fun exercise. It's something I needed to do for my draft board anyway, and I come away with a ton of information because you asked the question. I really appreciate it. So let's do this. Move on to the last thing we're going to cover here, and um, this is about the Saints. We're always drawing these uh, parallels to the Saints, right, because I'm what I'm doing, guys, is every time that the doom and gloomers come at us with, um, they've ruined this roster. They've ruined the Packers organization because the way they're kicking, quote unquote, kicking the can down the road, blah, blah, blah. They always draw a comparison with the Saints. So as the Saints make moves, I'm going to subtly mention what they're doing and let you guys come to the conclusion or draw your own conclusion. It, are we really doing what the Saints are doing? Right. Isn't it funny that three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, when they uh, gave Breeze that one more year and they pushed some of that money out, it was going to ruin the franchise. Well, Drew Breeze is no longer on the salary cap, okay? So they can no longer say it's Drew Brees. Now it's, well, they're kicking the can down the road with everyone else. It still hasn't caught up to the Saints. Why do I say that? 
I listed out how they've got more money invested on the top end of their roster than the Packers do. So there's no comparison there. But on top of that, they they are they always have money to spend on players that they want. Okay, so I want to point out a couple of things here. Tom Pelissero tweeted this out uh, earlier this morning, or actually uh, late yesterday. He said um, the first thing we're going to talk about uh, their defensive end. Okay, their edge defender here. Uh, his tweet says the Saints are closing in on a multi-year contract extension with defensive end to know Poseidon, I think is how you say his name. Per sources, he had six sacks over the past two seasons in New Orleans and was set to become a free agent. So they have a guy getting ready to hit the market, and they have worked out a contract extension with him. One of you know defensive end, and I believe they run a forty-three defense, so he's considered uh, would be technically considered an edge defender, although he might be a little bit bigger body than the outside linebackers that we run out there. Okay, um, here it is, an elite position. It's going to be top dollar for this guy to keep him, right? It's going to be, it's going to be, it may not be in the top 10 of edge defenders, but it's going to be an expensive contract. How do they have the money to do that, guys? How do they, they ruin their team. They ruin their organization. They ruin their front office. They've kicked the can down the road. They've swapped the credit card. All of these analogies that everybody uses saying that they, how do they have the money to extend a guy in an elite position? How does that happen, right? We slide on down here, and what else does he say? Tom Pelissero, the Saints restructured uh, safety Tyrone Matthews contract, clearing another $4.6 million in 2023 salary cap space. Uh, says continuing to chip away. So they here they're, they're keeping Tyrone Matthew. Now, there's some Packer fans that go, oh, you got to cut everybody. Cut everybody. The window's closed. It's passed us by. The opportunity's gone. Strip all the talent off your roster and start from scratch. Right. This is the team that they try to draw the comparison with the Packers with. Right. And it's, hey, look, you know, we're going to end up like the Saints. Guys, the Saints are making moves to try to field a team to be competitive this year. That's what they're doing. Like, and, and our salary cap situation was nowhere near theirs. I drew that comparison. We were down to 8 million. They were still over 40 million over the cap. Right. We were 8 million over the cap. And here they are making these moves. Here's another one. Um, he actually tweeted this one out shortly after those. Tom Pelissero, the Saints did a conversion on right tackle Ryan Ramchek's contract, clearing another $10.3 million in 2023 salary cap. And it's funny watching the, the Saints fans below. They're just laughing and joking about it. Like, every one of them are like Saints every offseason. It shows Hasbro accounting money, right? Uh, I thought you guys said we, we weren't going to be able to fill the team. Little comments like that down the whole thread, right? This happens every year, and those guys get their five minutes of fame, those doom and gloomers, talking about how a team has ruined their future, and then we close in on free agency, cap space is being chipped away. Guys, the point is they're fielding the team they want to field. There's not this fake storyline of, well, that's the only thing they can do. BS, they could have cut Matthew. They could have cut Ramchek and freed up more money and started over, but you don't have to. Those are key players on their roster. I'm not a big fan of the Honey Badger. I don't think he's as good as people think. But that front office believes he is worth keeping around, so they're going to keep him. They could have made the decision to cut him. Ramchek's one of their best offensive linemen at right tackle, right, one of their best players on their roster. They could have chose to cut him, but they they want to keep the best players on their roster and build around that, right? And that's, that's the right way to go. And it's just silly to, to continue to sit here and pretend like these teams – the Packers are going to be doom and gloom. And there's nothing. There's nothing that the Packers can do moving forward because they put themselves in a horrible financial state. It's getting debunked every single offseason. 
The issue is nobody, no podcasters, no one in the past will point out. These people screen this stuff every single year, and the roster works out. And then what do they do? They go quiet because they were proven wrong once again, and they move to the next year. Well, all they did was kicked it down the road. It's going to catch up to them next year. It hasn't caught up to the Saints, and it hasn't caught up to the Packers. But when you draw a comparison with the Packers and the Saints, you look at the numbers, there is no comparison. So if they want to compare them, I'm going to use this podcast every time to take a few minutes each episode, every other episode, to go, hey, look, this is how much different the Saints are from the Packers. Stop trying to pretend like they're doing the same thing because they're not. The problem is the Saints have less talent on their roster than the Packers. It has nothing to do with the cap. It has everything to do with talent evaluation. It's that simple. So um, the, the last thing I want to point out with that, if they don't have any money, and this has ruined the franchise, how in the heck did they host Derek Carr? Guys, they had the top quarterback free agent come in and visit with the Saints to potentially offer him a contract to see if it's a fit, to show them the direction they're going out. It sounds like Derek Carr isn't interested in joining the Saints, right? And we don't know all the details of why. But how in the world are, are they – is there an opportunity for them to sign the the top talent, top quote-unquote, you know, suggested talent in the market at the most expensive position in the National Football League if their finances are ruined? It's because they're not. This is cash over cap. Now, they're leaning more on the extreme side than the Packers are, which is why I always say there is no comparison. But they're now down to $28 million over the cap. The Packers are $8 million over the cap. And you're going to see the Packers make some moves here real soon. I think we're going to get a decision for Aaron Rodgers, and there's going to be several restructures hit, and we're going to see some money freed up, and they might dabble in free agency a bit. Don't expect any huge signings from the Packers. But I think there's a chance – that they can go out and get one, two, maybe three players that could play a key role outside of the players that they're letting test the market to potentially bring back a la Keyshawn Nixon. Nobody's talking about Keyshawn Nixon right now. Nationally, I'm glad that they're not um, because I want him to go under the radar so the Packers can re-sign him right, and, and let him test free agency and go out and get him. The one great thing is it looks like special teams coordinator Rich Basaccia is safe in Green Bay, and that's going to be a huge factor because we all know – the uh, the bond that that uh, Keyshawn Nixon and Rich Passaccia have, I think that Keyshawn Nixon, if it came down to the same amount of money, he would want to play where Rich Passaccia is. So it's go now going to come down to what's the market warrant for arguably the best kick returner in the game last year, and is the Packers willing to go out? Are they willing out to go out and match that offer? That's what it's going to come down to. So that's kind of how we sit, guys. Um, I'm going to wrap it up right there. I just want to hit on those few things, and then the Saints making all these moves. I want us to remember this, guys, next year. When all that doom and gloom talk starts, I want you to remember back to, okay, he said – that they're going to say they're kicking the can down the road and they're focused on next year. And look at when this stuff happens. Look at when the contract negotiations take place, the restructures take place. All these things are modified. And, and don't, don't ruin your season worrying about that stuff. Like it's, it's going to work itself out. What we need to be worried about is fielding the best team possible. Fielding the best team possible doesn't come from scrapping all of your talent and loading up on draft picks that you don't even know if they're going to pan out to be good players, right? It That's not even to take into consideration the fact that these young players have to learn the system. Let's say you did trade those players and you have another down year. Now Matt LaFleur is on the hot seat. These young players have spent a year, a year and a half 
trying to learn all of Matt LaFleur's scheme, all of their, you know, everything, every aspect of their organizational, uh, you know, values when it comes to schematics, right? And then he gets canned because they had another bad year. Now you bring in another coaching staff. Now all these young players that you quote unquote, you know, put you put the highest value on those draft picks. They have to learn a new scheme, a new system that sets them back a year. Guys, that's how you end up in a tailspin, in a whirlwind of negative results year after year after year. Chicago Bears, Minnesota Vikings. For so long, they've chased their tail. Now, Minnesota's almost got it turned around. The problem there is, in my opinion, they're lacking a culture in Minnesota. And that's huge. And that's what can be huge in Green Bay. That's the one thing that when Aaron Rodgers' name gets brought up, I don't think he's the best person culture-wise. But when you talk of talent, you talk of leadership, you talk of been there and got the pelts on the wall, it's worth bringing him back in my opinion. So we're going to get an answer from Aaron real soon, maybe as early as Tuesday. It might still be a couple, you know, two or three weeks. We'll see. But uh, I'm excited to see which direction this team goes in, and we'll be here every step of the way. So thank you all for taking the time to hang out with us here on this Saturday afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow with another pod. Um, You guys have an awesome, awesome weekend. Stay safe out there. And as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go back, go. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.